Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Amen. Also, this coming Friday, we're having a memorial service here for uh, Dixie and Roxanna's uh, father. It's going to be at 11 o'clock during the day. And if you don't uh, have employment and you have the ability to come and be supportive of them, uh, please do so. We appreciate that. Second Chronicles 32. Two weeks ago, uh, we read from Second Chronicles 32. And I taught about last resort prayer. And I want to kind of tongue and groove with that still yet tonight. And uh, look at verses 7 and 8. Some verses we looked at two weeks ago. I know two weeks probably seemed like forever ago for some people. Amen. But we want to look at verses 7 and 8 and 20 through 22 as well. Whenever I conclude this evening, the next two Wednesdays, the first two Wednesdays of the month of December, my wife uh, will be standing here and be doing a couple of sessions on grief and loss. And uh, that seems to be an appropriate time of year to do that because this is, that's a time when people are still struggling with a lot of losses and grief around the holidays. Whenever loved ones, there's uh, empty seats, if you will, at the table and pictures are a little imbalanced because people are no longer there that had been there before. And so come and be a part of that. Uh, it will be a wealth of information it might help you if you're still in a moment of grieving or if you're in a moment uh, that you're continuing with those things or even how to contend even with kids for that matter of that of that sort and so uh, that would be very very uh, beneficial amen we learned that whenever jesus went to uh, the grave of lazarus that shortest version of the bible is rendered that jesus wept we see abraham in the old testament crying at the the burial and the death of his wife sarah and so crying, grief, all that is a part and it's interwoven throughout the pages of scripture. Amen. We need to learn and know how to do that in a healthy measure. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 32 verse 7. If you've not already got there, I've given you plenty of time to get there. And if not, you can cheat. The Bible says be strong. This is Hezekiah speaking to the men that he had gathered together about ready to go to battle against the king of Syria. He says be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Verse number 20, And for this cause Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah the son of Amoz prayed and cried to heaven, and the Lord sent an angel which cut off all the mighty men of valor and the leaders and captains in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he was come into the house of his God, they that came forth of his own bowels slew him. So the people who killed him were related to him. Got to watch those relatives. And there with the sword. Verse number 22. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all other 
and guided them on every side. Two weeks ago, I talked to you about last resort prayer, how it seemed like Hezekiah used prayer as the last resort. He did the things that he could do himself first. Tonight, I want to talk to you about first resort God. Two weeks ago, last resort prayer. Tonight, first resort God. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask him to help us. Hallelujah. Father, I love you and I appreciate you, O Lord, for who you are. God, you're the reason for our gathering. You're the reason for our being here. God, we've not come to see one another. God, we've not come, Lord Jesus, to get our name. Lord, checked off as just being present on an attendance sheet. But God, we've come, Lord God, for you. We've come here, Lord Jesus, for you. If we've come for any other purpose, God, Lord, we have really, Lord, approached this thing in vain. I pray, oh God, tonight, Lord, let your spirit, God, have its way upon our hearts, minds, and souls. God, I pray, Lord, wrap our attention, God, Lord Jesus, to these scriptures that we we can learn from them lord something god tonight god that will help us in our walk with god in the lovely name of jesus christ that i pray amen and amen the church say amen amen you may be seated this evening just for a little recap of two weeks ago for those who forgot for those that who were not here a couple weeks ago just real quickly and i won't take much time doing this but a couple weeks ago we concentrated on the fact that hezekiah's first response to the dangers that were coming to the certain danger and the threat that was posed to he and his inhabitants was uh, against the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, uh, was not prayer. You can look through the, writ, the list. You can read the first eight verses of Second Chronicles 32, and you will see that Hezekiah did a lot of other things before he ever prayed. Prayer was not in that list until verse number 20 came around. However, in the list of verses 1 through 8 that Hezekiah and the inhabitants did when they knew that the adversary was coming upon them, there are several actions that they performed. There were several actions that they had done. And prayer appeared to be more like a last resort coming to us finally in verse number 20. Uh, just rehearse a little bit and refresh you some of the things that Hezekiah did. Here's the list of them. Prior to prayer, he stopped all the waterways out of the city of Jerusalem again the purpose for that was that he didn't want to leave any waterways out there that his enemy could benefit from and so he didn't want anything that was going to be able to benefit his enemy number two he repaired the broken wall that was around about Jerusalem it had breaches in it and holes in it he repaired that as a matter of fact in the process of doing that he decided not just to repair it but to build the wall up taller than what it was that was their means and lines of protection and then he thought boy if one wall is good two walls is probably even going to be better so he built an additional wall the bible says he repaired the milo which is the wall on the north side of jerusalem so he is making the city fortified uh, he's making sure he's not leaving anything out there that's going to benefit his enemy the bible says that he made darts and shields in abundance tools of both offense and defense he made an abundance he set his captains up over the people and then the Bible says at that point in time he encouraged the people he encouraged them told them to be strong to be courageous and uh, then that God was going to help them and fight with them and so in the list it appeared that Hezekiah then finally in verse 20 would use prayer as a last resort but in reality as I spoke two weeks ago in reality he prioritized prayer in such a way that he took responsibility for what he could take responsibility for before he went to God and say, hey, I need you in on this. 
And we talked about how last week we need to take responsibility for what we can take responsibility for rather than just asking God to come down and do our, our heavy lifting. Absolutely, because uh, we got to ask ourselves if we do the analogy, what are some things that are in my life that are there that may be for the benefit of my enemy? How can I better? Because, see, we have control over those things. A lot of times we want God to come down and fix things we've broken. We got to put prayer in the right priority. We need to be able to take care of the things that we can take care of. And then you can call upon God. And so he was responsible. Hezekiah was the list of eight things. He was responsible for what he could control, what he could be responsible for. And then he went to God in prayer. Him and his people, they accomplished what they could accomplish. And then they cried out to God in prayer. And it's only at that point when they did what they could do and controlled what they control that Hezekiah spoke to the people and encouraged them to be strong and to be courageous because the Lord would be with them and God was there to help them. We talked about last week how help is meaning that you're coming alongside somebody that's striving to already accomplish something. You can't get help if you're not already striving toward an end. He came alongside to help. Amen. He didn't come along to do what they could do. Amen. He was there to come alongside them, to help them, to aid them in their efforts. Amen. To help them accomplish the victory that they were going toward. And so Hezekiah and Isaiah in verse 20, then finally the Bible says, they cried to heaven and that they prayed unto the Lord. And it seemed like almost instantaneously that there was some type of results that took place. The Bible says then in verse 21 that the Lord, upon them crying unto him and praying unto him, that the Lord sent an angel, and that angel dismantled the opposing army, the army of Assyria that was coming against Hezekiah. It says in verse 22 that thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants. And it seems like, wow, that is just great. And one might think, my goodness, Hezi, I mean, let me give him for short. Why in the world, why didn't you just go to this prayer aspect first? I mean, couldn't God have done the same thing with the waterways outside of Jerusalem flowing freely? Couldn't he given you the deliverance with breaches in your walls and holes in your walls? Couldn't, couldn't have God came through for you without having an increased number of weapons? Couldn't have God done it? And the answer to that is this. God certainly could have answered with all those things remaining undone. But God has a principle that is necessary that it's preserved by not doing it that way. And that is this. If God always swooped down at our ever beck and call, regardless of the affairs of our life, we might tend to think that those other items don't matter to God. Let me state it like this. If I'm just going to cry out to God, God, help, and he just comes down and he takes care of the situation, then if I'm not careful, if God always did that, I might seem to think, you know, having things in my life that might be beneficial to my adversary, then is it no big deal to God? Mm -hmm. We might start to view God and him answering our prayers as just like we do these little cartoons of a genie rub the lamp and he comes out and I'll grant you three wishes. It doesn't matter what they are, who you are, what you've done. For the sake of the season tonight, we can't start turning to prayer as our little Christmas list of wants and desires from God. Particularly if we don't have no other tie to God but that moment. 
oh God, help me tonight here, Lord. Because I, I, and I'm feeling a little bit of the preacher coming in the house here tonight. I, I, I feel sometimes our approach to God is our approach to God just when we need something from God. Our approach from God, God, I need your help here. I need you to do this. And our prayers shoot out of our mouth, not acknowledging who he is just for who he is. But we come with everything that we need, we want, that we believe we're entitled to and deserve. But we don't have no other relationship with God. But God is our go-to person whenever we need something or want something. The Bible says this, and I want you to look at these verses in Scripture because I think the approach of many has been wrong to these verses. The Bible says in Matthew 7 and verse number 7, the, you're familiar with these. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. And we're like, yes, those are my verses. Absolutely. I mean, ask and it'll be given, seek, you know, find, knock, it's open. Those are my verses. But those two verses right there, seven and eight, are just touching the surface. Because if you just read those two verses and that's all you read, if you just read those two verses and that's all you read, you may come to believe that prayer is a thing kind of like society paints it, this blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, believe it and conceive it type of operation because it's ask and receive brother McGee it's seek and find it's knock and the door will be open but folks prayer's not a vending machine prayer that I want to get to tonight is the prayer when relationship trumps request oh yeah as a motive because look at the next three verses following this ask, receive, knock, open, seek, find. Verse number nine. Or what man, because see now this gives clarity to these verses. Or what man is there of you whom if his son, everybody say son, ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If Ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your, everybody say, Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask of him. Someone say amen. See, so this ask and receive and knock and open and seek and find, this ebb and flow of prayer and prayer being answered stuff is really tied a little bit deeper to a relationship. He goes on to start talking about a father-son relationship. And here's the interesting thing about having that relationship. That is this. What the, that relationship, the adversary will fight. He will fight you because of that relationship. And the same thing the adversary will fight you for, God will fight for you. Mm-hmm. In other words, Satan will fight you for or because of your relationship with God. However, on the other hand, God will fight for you because you have a relationship with him. So when we go to God, we think it's just, well, ask and receive, man. That's worth the scripture. No, 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 no. That's all founded upon relationship. See, see, that's, that's where our little approach is whole different. We think it's, well, we just ask and receive. That's what God said in his word. We, we, we just knock and it's open. That's the way. No, 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 no. All of that is based on relationship. 
What are you saying tonight? Well, for Hezekiah, last resort was prayer, but his first resort was God. His first resort was relationship with God. And so he could approach in prayer because before he approached to, to prayer with a request, he approached to God with a relationship in prayer. Prayer's not about my list. Prayer, first most, is about my relationship. It's not about me going in and saying, I want, I need, fulfill this. It's about me standing there and saying, God, you're great. God, you're glorious. You created all things. You're awesome. I understand the majesty. It's about spending time with God. Primary. But we turned it into our list. And have forgotten the relationship aspect of prayer. Really, the request aspect is just a perk of the relationship aspect. Amen. Look at, at look, look, if you will, at, at the scripture here. Uh, uh, the first verse of Second Chronicles thirty-two. The first verse, the Bible says, after these things. And the establishment thereof. The Berean study Bible says it like this. After all these acts of faithfulness. That's how this chapter starts out. Both of these are referring to the time that Hezekiah has just spent prior to chapter 32. Hezekiah has just spent setting everything back in order that his father Ahaz had blown apart. Ahaz did wrong in the sight of God. He had idols. He, he closed the doors to the temple, did all this uh, hideous things. Hezekiah, he's putting everything back in place. He's shoring everything up. What's he doing? He's making the relationship right. He's making the relationship right. And we'll talk about his daddy here in just a little bit. But the Bible says it's after these acts of faithfulness, it's after all of these things and these, the establishment of them that the Bible says, and here's Hezekiah's doing all this because he's trying to safeguard that relationship. His dad had fell away from the relationship with God, but he says, I'm going to undo that. I'm going to get back to a relationship with God. And in trying to safeguard all that, what happens? An enemy rears its head. Whenever Hezekiah starts putting the temple back together, the altar back together, starts putting everything in priority in his life where it needs to be concerning God, the enemy shows up and is going to cause opposition in his life. He rears his head and he's going to encamp around about Hezekiah and his inhabitants. Someone say amen. Mm. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Some people... Are, 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 are shrugging off the relationship because they don't want to deal with the war. They don't want to deal with the war that attracts and gets the attention of their enemy by virtue of having their relationship. Because they would feel a whole lot more at ease being able to be flunky on the relationship and hopefully get the name and claim it stuff and not have to worry about an adversary. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yet the Bible says, whenever all this is said and done, that Hezekiah has reestablished the relationship with God, and that relationship with God would be the very hinge upon which his door of victory eventually would come upon that relationship with God. All of the finding, all of the receiving, all the doors being opened was going to be attached to that relationship with God. It had to be more than a request. It had a basis on a relationship. Back, back years ago, years ago, during one of the wars of Napoleon, Napoleon I, an attempt was made, 
attempt was made by him in a winter campaign to cut off the march of an enemy that was going across a frozen lake. And so the gunners were told to fire on the ice and to break it. But as they would do that, the cannonballs would just glance harmlessly off of the surface along the side. Then finally, with a little flashing of genius that entered his brain, he gave them the word. He said, boys, he said, fire upwards. And when they fired upwards, the balls could crash down. Those cannonballs could crash down with the full weight, the shattering, all of that icy lake and sending fragments here and there. And at the end of the day, the battle was won. Amen. Can I tell you tonight that the desired outcome, the desired outcome of our request may be out of our reach until we learn how to fire upwards. Huh? We need to hone that vertical, that vertical relationship with God. The answers might not be able to come down with the weight effectively that they need to come down with until we learn how to fire upwards in relationship. Now, Hezekiah had undoubtedly seen all of this relationship, non-relationship with God thing play out in his own father's life. Ahaz. The Bible says early on in Ahaz's reign, this was his story. Ahaz had molten images. Hezekiah, he's just over in the wing right now. Molten images to Balaam made. He'd even circulated some of them around from place to place. He embraced idolatry. He caused some of his own sons to pass through the fire of Melech, meaning that he burnt his children to this false fire, in this false fire and deity. Amen. He revived the fires of the Valley of Hinnom, which that's where that took place with Molech. He revived all that. It had, put, it had been put aside, been closed, if you will, but he opened it all back up. If we could say it like this, just quite plainly, Ahaz, Hezekiah's daddy, was out of relationship with God. Even so much so that the Bible says that Ahaz pledged being both a servant and a son to king of Assyria. This is what the Bible says, 2 Kings 16 and verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Assyria and out of the hand of the king of Israel, which rise up against me. Let me just say, he sold his soul to the devil. <laughs> he says, I'm your servant. That's one thing, but he goes a step further. I'm your son. What's that denote? Relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm your son. Here's the thing. He says, I'm doing this, king of Assyria, because I want you to fight some battles for me. Huh? I want you to fight some battles for me against Syria and against the king of Israel. Now, isn't it interesting that the same thing that applies here is what applies in on the flip side for God? He was wanting to be in relationship with a foreign king thinking that he'll have some Leverage for that king then to be able to help him fight some battles. And then who are we to think then that we should not be in relationship with God in order for him to come alongside us to fight? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so he does these things. He makes that relationship. But here's the sad thing about whenever your relationship is not with God. If you're going to choose a foreign king, if you're going to choose something foreign like Ahaz did, here's what he found out. That in order to be able to fight all of your enemies, you're not just going to be able to be servant to one of them and son to one of them to be victorious. 
because they ain't always going to be victorious in their fighting. The only way that you can have full-fledged understanding of having victory all the time is that you have to be friend and come servant and son to all your enemies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In order for you to have success. But on the other hand, look at it again. If you give your allegiance to God and you, you are all in with your relationship with God as Hezekiah was in the moment of 2 Chronicles 32. Because of his good standing with God, verse 20, we read it, he cried out, he prayed to God. The Bible says that God saved Hezekiah and in his inhabitants from the king of Assyria. But I want you to note another little phrase right there in verse number 22. And from the hand of all other. You catch that? And from the hand of all other. In other words, God wasn't just successful for Hezekiah against Assyria, but any other enemy or any other foe that Hezekiah had, God was successful at. You don't have to sell yourself out to a bunch of everyone whenever you're dealing with God. All you need is God. And when you have God, you have success in every battle. When you have God, you have victory in every venue. But there must be that solid relationship with God. Now look at it. Look at it now. 2 Chronicles 28 verse 22. This is back to Daddy Ahaz here. Daddy Ahaz. The Bible says, verse 22, and in the time of his distress, this Ahaz, what a deplorable guy. In the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against the Lord? That this is that king Ahaz for, look at this now. Look, you got to think how this guy's thinking. It's kind of scary. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because what has happened at this point in time, Ahaz has already lost to Syria, already lost to Damascus. He's already lost. So now he says, well, since I lost to them, I'll just serve their gods. Because of the gods of Syria helped them. Here's what, here's his thinking. They won against me because their gods helped them. So if I serve their gods, maybe their gods will help me. Are you listening to me? And he says, well, 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 well since, since because the gods of Assyria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him. And of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together. Look what he does now. The vessels of the house of God cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of God. He made him altars at every corner of Jerusalem and in every several city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense and to other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. So King Ahaz is going to sacrifice to the gods of Damascus, the gods of the king of Assyria, of, of Syria, because he's just been defeated by Damascus and he thought, if I worship their gods who help them, perhaps now they will help me too. Walk with me here, though. Ahaz's thinking was wrong in this respect. He thought Damascus was successful against him because of the aid that their gods gave them. When reality... The reason why they were successful against him is because his God has refrained from being next to him because he's broken the relationship. 
What I'm saying is God ignored helping Ahaz because Ahaz has ignored God. See, Ahaz had it wrong. Their gods must be strong. They conquered me. They didn't conquer you because they were strong. They conquered you because you left your helper. They, 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 they conquered you because your relationship with your God has been slighted, ignored, put on the back burner. Let me tell you something. Every battle that you lose in the Christian life isn't because there was some force that was greater than you. A lot of times it's because you fell out of relationship with your maker. Oh, yes. Amen. We fell out of relationship. We've ignored him. You're going to be ashamed of him. He'll be ashamed of you. That's the Bible. Furthermore, he goes and he cleans out the temple of God. Everything that's useful, everything that's valuable. The Bible portrays it in such a way as though he just boarded up the doors of the temple of God. And then he went out. He just neglected the house of God. But more importantly, the God of the house. He just went out. And as he went out, now he's building shrines to pagan gods on this hill and that hill. Thinking that they're going to give him help. But they couldn't. For number one, they're false. Huh? And the Bible plainly told us in verse number 23, rather than helping him, the Bible says they were his ruin. They were the ruin of him. Why? Not because they did anything to him, but because their presence then made him separate from his God. Because no man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. You either hate the love, you'll either love the one and hate the other, or hate the one and love the other. You know what he's saying? He's saying, if you love this, then you must hate me, so I don't need to keep in this relationship. Huh? Someone say amen. Now look at this. Look at this. Draw your attention to Psalm 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66, verse 18. Sometimes this scripture and another one I'm going to share tonight, people are like, you know, God hears and answers prayer, and then they hear something about God not hearing prayer or God not hearing the prayer of sinners. They say, my God, then how in the world can we ever be saved? Let's get to it. Psalm 66 and verse 18. Look what the, the psalmist says. If I, and this is the operative word, regard. Everybody say regard. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Let me make this as plain as I can make it. That if you regard, that word regard means approve, it means enjoy, it means respect. If, if, if I approve the iniquity in my heart, if I enjoy the iniquity that's in my heart, if I respect the iniquity that's in my heart, let me make it more important. If I see the iniquity in my heart and I look at it with admiration and pleasure, if I pretend to be what I'm not, if I pretend to be what I'm not, the Lord will not hear me. Let me take that a step further. The Lord is not obligated to answer you. So while I'm living in this delusion about asking, receiving all this stuff, honey, if you're regarding iniquity and what iniquity sin does is separate you from your relationship, he's not obligated to hear you. He's not obligated to answer you. He's not obligated to come to your rescue. If you have something pet in your heart that you have admiration and respect and enjoy and pleasurable and you're pretending to be something that you're not, God doesn't have to give ear to you. No. 
treasury of David said it like this. He says, if having seen it to be there, I continue to gaze upon it without aversion. If I cherish it, have a side glance of love toward it, excuse it. The Lord will not hear me because everybody say sin separates me from God. It's the story of Genesis to Revelation. Sin separates me from God. What is that? A broken relationship. That's the story of Genesis. A broken relationship. Mm -hmm. He hides his face from us. Isaiah said so that he will not hear us. That's what he said. He said Isaiah 52, 59 and 2. You can look it up. He said sin separates us from God and God will hide his face from us and will not hear from us. Because you cannot, this is just good old plain Bible tonight. You cannot successfully be in a relationship with sin and God. Because James says, for a friend of the world is an enemy. Is an enemy of God. And that is why then Hezekiah stops all the wells around Jerusalem. Because he doesn't want there to be anything around that may benefit his enemy. Because that might be a friendly act toward the adversary. That's the reason why then he's repairing the breaches and the walls and the holes in the walls. Because he can't look too kindly upon something that he has the power to amend. Or if I say like this, make right. Because otherwise it would be like wanting God to do for him in spite of his vulnerabilities he's aware that he has with the enemy. Huh? You know, I, I think it is even with insurance companies, you're barking up a tall tree if things get taken out of your vehicle or out of your home if you just leave everything unlocked. Although they're still trespassing on your property, the thing is, you didn't even take measures for the vulnerabilities you have. And so he says, I'm, I'm going to take care of this. Now look, John 9, 31. Oh, this is just so hard. Now we know that God heareth not sinners. And someone's like, <gasps> well, how did I get in the church then? Again, it goes back to that. Are you regarding? Are you regarding iniquity? Are you looking on it with passion? You know. But if any man be a worshiper. Oh, here we go. Now, we know that God hears not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he heareth. So God does not hear sinners who desire God, but not at the cost of denouncing their sin. Because huh. we got some good Christian sinners. We got good Christian sinners that want all the mercy and want all the grace, but don't want to denounce sin. They come to church faithful than some of the saints, but they don't want to separate from sin. The Bible says, but if any man be a worshiper of God, do his will, he hears him. Right? Because worship of God is based upon who God is. Huh? So in order to worship God, you must know God. Huh? In order to worship God, you must know God. What is that? Relationship. Relationship. In order to worship God, you must know God. Because worshiping God is all based upon who he is. 
And as a son, here's Hezekiah. As a son, he's taken all this in with his father, Ahaz. Bad relationship. And he reacts accordingly whenever Ahaz, his daddy, has died. And so Hezekiah starts to make first resort God. What does he start to do? He decided to turn history around. He decided to put things in a different order. He, he was undoing what his father had done or refrained from doing, however you wish to look at it. One of the first things that Hezekiah did after becoming a man king was to break, look at it, to break any ties with the king of Assyria that his father had made. Look at it, 2 Kings 18 and verse number 7. This concerns Hezekiah. The Bible says, and the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Dad might have been your servant and your son, but I'm neither. He might have been your servant and son, but I am neither. He broke the ties. He broke the ties with the king of Assyria. Not only that, the Bible, we see him in Scripture, that he goes back and he's repairing the doors on the temple that daddy had barred up and put boards over. He comes. He doesn't want people not to have access to the presence of God, but he wants them to have access to the things of God. And even God himself, we're not going to ban them from this. This is what they need. And so then, look at this. This is great. He starts to have all the people then that's under his rule after he gets the boards off the temple and boards off the house of God he has everybody that's under his hand of rule he says let's go in the house of God and let's clean it up Amen. it's interesting to me that they started on the inside of the temple before they did any repairs on the outside of the temple they busted the doors open so they could get inside and they started on the inside of the temple because had they started on the outside of the temple, it might have a comely appearance, but the core would have been corrupt. Someone say amen. At least if they started on the inside of the temple, by the time they got to the outside, the facade wouldn't be misleading. That's the reason why I think the New Testament scripture, the apostle said that judgment must first begin at the It needs to start right here among us. Oh, yeah. Now, every time we point those fingers, we got those others pointing right back as we, we need it. We need to start there. Amen. We talk about the Lord's not going to hear the prayer of sinners. My God, he's not going to hear our prayer if we're out of relationship with him. And so he's repairing everything. He's getting everything in order. And the Bible says they removed everything that was defiling, everything that had no place in the holy temple. They removed everything that, 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 that didn't harmonize with a holy God, with what God was. Matter of fact, prior to the attack of 2 Chronicles 32, prior to that attack of the Assyrian king against Hezekiah, look what he has done prior to that. Prior to that, he has already ridded the nation of adultery. Prior to that, he has already repaired the temple. Prior to that, and he's already, this is important too, before all the, the attack of the enemy, he's already reorganized and restarted worship in the temple. And that tells me he has to know him in order to worship him. What's he concentrating on? God first. Resort, my first resort is God. And all of that got the attention of his adversary. Clearly, in Hezekiah's life, his first resort was God. And his last resort, as I'm stating it, don't, get, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, his last resort 
was prayer. His first resort is I'm going to get my relationship with God right. And then I'm going to go to God to prayer after I accomplish and control everything that I can have control and accomplish that I know that is out of step with the master. Then I'll go to God in prayer. For Hezekiah, his relationship surpassed his request. And he took ownership and responsibility for what he had control of. Now, what are you saying then tonight, Brother McGee? I'm saying this. You need to make your prayers more about spending time with God than you do seeing what you can get from God. We got God moochers. You know what a mooch is? They hang around somebody just so what they can get from them. Has nothing to do with being with them per se. It has to do what they can get from them. We got God moochers sitting on pews. He's our answer man. Our come quickly man. I need, I need money for a bill man. I'm sick, heal my body man. We're mooching. But I challenge you. I challenge you this week. To spend your first few minutes of your prayer just telling God how wonderful he is before you ever ask him for anything. Acknowledge who he is before you go with your hand out. Amen. Any good child knows how to do that. Dad, you're so great. You're so kind. You're the best dad in the world. What do you want? Secondly, though, I challenge you this week. You need to take ownership of the things you can change or influence in your life without expecting God to do your heavy lifting for you. You hearing me? You, 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 need, to, you need to take ownership for what you, can, what you can do in your life. Secondly then, or thirdly rather, when these things have been done, when you acknowledge God for who he is, whenever you take care of the things that you know you can take care of in your life, whenever these things have been done, you can claim the verses 7 and 8 of Matthew 7 of ask and ye shall receive. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Not because they are entitled to you, but because God is true to the principle of his word that it's relationship first, then request. Look, if you will, Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23. Same chapter there. Matthew 7, the ask and receive stuff and the, about giving a son, you know, a serpent or bread or whatever. If, a, if you being evil, know how to good, good, give good gifts to your children. How much more shall your father in heaven? This is flowing in the same context of this chapter, folks. Look at it. Same context of this chapter. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works? Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, Key, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Here's the thing. The reality of that they said, we, 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 we prophesied in your name. We did this in your name. The reality of the matter is this. You can only use God's name and seemingly get free access. We prophesied you free access for so long. 
Because in the end, the question is this. Will he know who has been using his name? And that's relationship. Will I told you all years ago. I t- and I, let me tell it again because it'll fit just fine right here. Years ago, I, I was down. I was at a conference. Had a pastor come to me, and he said, "Brother, he said I had so, brother so and so. You know, come preach at my church. I said you did. I didn't know who he just named. He said, "Yeah." He said he 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 uh, uh, spoke your name. He said, "Yeah, I know Paul McGee." Paul McGee said, "This church here is a real good church here, and you know, I should come down here and preach and all that stuff." He used my name, but I know the guy from Adam. But that didn't keep him from using my name. What I'm saying is name using and having per se free access only goes so far. But when the end of time comes, it's about whether or not he knows you, not if you know his name. It's about if he knows your name, not if you know. And that's only sealed through relationship. You'll stand with me here tonight. First resort, God. First resort, God. Hallelujah. Next two Wednesdays, Sister McGee be here. Grief and loss. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now. Can we in the ending prayer here tonight, let's just acknowledge God, can we? Can we just acknowledge him? Have you ever just told God how wonderful he is? That'd be a real great thing to do right now. Just acknowledge him. God, I love you. God, you are so wonderful. God, you created everything, God, that we have access to do on this earth, God, all by yourself. You didn't have to receive counsel from anybody, Lord. You did it all by yourself. God, you supply, Lord Jesus, everything, God, that's in need, Lord God, for humanity. God, you are long-suffering and you are compassionate. God, you are patient. God, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, your mercy endures forever. God, you hold my very next breath within the palm of your hand. I'm grateful today, God, unto you. God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mighty acts. I praise you, oh, God, for your, Lord, exceeding and abundant greatness. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, God, you are the one that have made me and not me myself, oh Lord. God, I am a sheep, Lord, a lamb, God, of your pasture. God, I want to know your voice. And God, I want to know your voice. I want to be acquainted with your voice. I want you to know, God, who I am. You know your sheep, God, and I want to be known of you and known by you. I pray, oh Lord, today, Jesus. God, we acknowledge you, Jesus. We're thankful, Lord, for leaving your home in glory. We're thankful, God, that you left the splendor to come down in the lowliness of a manger God you was a king but you came down as a pauper Lord God for the purpose God he that was rich made himself poor God you took upon the image of a man and the fashion of a man God you condescended God so someday we might ascend I pray God today I glorify you oh Lord oh holy is his name holy is his name holy 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 I glorify my God today Hallelujah, hallelujah, Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Someone say amen. You know why? Do you know why the devil didn't know the sons of Sceva? Because the sons of Sceva didn't know God. We adjure you by Jesus Christ, by whom Paul preacheth. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, because Paul had a relationship with God. Because if you have a relationship with God, you got the attention of your enemy. 
they didn't know. They didn't know the sons of Sceva because the sons of Sceva didn't know God. Amen. God bless you tonight. P.S. Go home. Have a good evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.